My guest this week is my dear friend Lisa Brigantino. Lisa and I went to college together at Fredonia State University, which is a SUNY school in New York State. Lisa and I stayed connected all through these years, and not only is she a multi-instrumentalist, but she has her master's in music theory and composition. In this interview, we're going to go back to our college days, talk about when she finally graduated from college, which was sort of funny in the interview, talk about the companies that she started, touring with a female tribute band called Les Zeppelin, and then finally opening up the company that she now heads up called Hidden Pond Productions. She's a very smart woman, very funny, and I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did talking to my dear old friend. once again to my podcast. It's an honor for me to have this podcast playing in your ears and that you've chosen to listen. And I have a very special guest on today. It is a very dear and old friend of mine. We actually went to college together and came up through the ranks. And then we went our separate ways like everyone does when they get out of college, but we stayed in contact. She's a very talented, smart person, one of my dear friends, and I'm very glad to have her. Welcome, Lisa Brigantino. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, Joe. It's really fantastic to be here. And I love that after all these years that we can still remain connected and and present in each other's lives and doing this across the miles. Yeah, it's very cool. My life out of college probably was not as eventful as yours, but you know, you have done a lot of things. You're a multi-instrumentalist, and I know for a while you did some performing in a band. We could talk about all of these things, um, and then I want to get to Hidden Pond Productions, what you're doing today. Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about what you and your sister do with that cool little wacky act that you guys <laughs> yeah. have together, um, and any of the other things that I might not know, because obviously we only kind of know what we see on Facebook, right? right? Unless we're talking on a regular basis, I, I, there could be all sorts of cool things happening that I have no idea. So let's just start. So you and I went to school together out at the Fredonia State University, which is a New York SUNY school. And um, you graduated when? Well, that's an interesting question because <laughs> um, I, when I got to Fredonia, um, I started uh, as a music therapy major and my instrument was violin. By the time I left, I was a music comp major and I had switched to the voice department. Um, and because of changing over, I had actually left school and came back and did an extra year to finish my undergrad in composition and theory. And then I stayed on to do my master's in comp and theory. Um, Dr. Bolin kind of, uh, Donald Bolin, who was my mentor and composition teacher, took me under his wing and, you know, just starting to work with him for a year in my undergrad, um, it, it just made so much sense for me to stay and and have a few more years with him so we like to call it the fredonia decade the the 80s because i was basically there from 1981 to i think 80 i just i got my master's in december of 88 yeah oh okay yeah so i didn't and even know that like i thought we both when we left 
You I thought that was it, right? I thought no, that was it. No. I wasn't done. <laughs> I came back. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, cool. And he's he was a tough, I, he was tough on me because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But you, you on the other hand, I had him for a comp class and it yeah. was a disaster for me because I just, it's not my makeup. My DNA is not composing music, but uh, he's still tough, right? Well, you know, uh, I got along terrifically with Dr. Boland. Um, and he was tough in the way that he needed to be for me. Mm-hmm. But I also felt um, that he kind of, you know, I, I, I didn't fit into a, to a nice little box at Fredonia. Um, and he allowed me to kind of explore uh, music in a way that I hadn't been allowed to in other areas at the school. So we just kind of got along that way. And um, I worked really hard. I had to cram a lot in in a short period of time. Um, but, uh, you know, to this day, we, we remain close. Every time I'm back in Fredonia, I go to visit him. So. Wow. That's how old is he now? Um, he's in his he's in his 80s. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say. Yeah. That's amazing. That's very cool. Yeah. And still composing. And still yeah, teaching sure. privately. Oh, yeah. Right. He's not at the university, though. No, he retired in 2007, I think. Yeah, and I actually I went up for a special concert and performed on the concert, and there was a party and everything. So, yeah. Um, so you are a comp. You're, you have a master's now in composition, music composition. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. Music okay. composition and music theory, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So you got out of school and what did you end up doing with that? Yeah, what happened is I, I left school in 88, December of 88. Um, by fall of 1989, I had moved uh, to New York City uh, and I'm from the New York City area. So it wasn't a big stretch for me to kind of say, well, that's where I was going to be. And it was, uh, I had three choices, three music centers. It was New York, Nashville or, or LA. And I, I felt more comfortable moving to New York. And you know, to pursue writing and performing and, you know, the grand ideals that you have at, at, at a young age. Um, and, uh, you know, I, but I needed to make some money so I could pay the rent in my East Village apartment. And I think the week I moved to New York, I took an administrative assistant job. The ad said something like music, celebrities, photographs, da, 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 work with them all. And I thought, all right, well, I'll, I'll answer that. And I entered the world of rights clearance. I just stumbled upon it. And what we did at that company is we helped people get the rights for various copyrighted or otherwise protected properties. Um, Everything from clearing music for a national TV commercial to, oh, you know, you want to put a photograph of Humphrey Bogart on a coffee mug and sell it. Or you want that particular comic strip for a print ad that you're doing within your company. Uh, so it, it wasn't just music. I got this really broad education in all kinds of rights clearance. I mean, a majority of what we did was music, music permissions for, like I said, everything from national commercials to maybe, um, you know, an airline that is producing an in-house video for their employees and they want to use Tina Turner's song, Simply the Best. Well, how do you do that? Well, you can go to a company like ours, which is a third-party company, 
and hire us to negotiate, you know, find out who owns the material, negotiate the rights, uh, do the contracts and make sure that you have the proper permission to do what you want. So I was there for 11 years and all this time performing and writing and, and doing other musical things. But, you know, I, I really, I worked, I worked full time and get home and I'd switch gears and I'd, I'd write music or, you know, on a weekend I'd have gigs or, so I was there for, for a while. And then I left that company to form, I was a partner with another former employee of that company. And we went on to form a company called Creative License. Um, so I became a founding partner of that company and a vice president of that company. And I'm head of business affairs and I managed all the contracts and and that company we were doing more music supervision so to speak and what that means is you're really more involved in the creative process of sourcing and finding the right music for a project as opposed to just finding out who owns it and negotiating a fee so you know it could be a filmmaker coming to you saying here's the scene we're not sure what we want here but find us something that works for this budget and here's the deadline so we were more involved with finding a bunch of possibilities for that client presenting them with maybe 10 or 20 or 30 different tracks that might work for their budget and giving them the opportunity to pick the thing that you know well, of course, with our recommendation. So that's exciting. That's the really exciting part of that kind of work because you really are part of the creative process. Um, and I was there for five years. Now, how I kind of segued out of that is in 2003, while I was vice president of this company with 15 employees and working 10 hours a day, I decided to join a band called Les Zeppelin. And Les Zeppelin was the one of my first, favorite, one of my one favorite of bands, by the way. Um, I still love it. You guys came to Las Vegas to see us that time. That was fun. Um, a friend of mine who was on the board of Women in Music with me, Women in Music is a nonprofit organization uh, in New York that I was on the board of at the time. And she said she knew someone, she knew um, a woman, a guitarist who was putting together this Zeppelin tribute band and was looking for a bass player. Now, little did this guitarist know that I also played keyboards and mandolin, which is basically what John Paul Jones did for Led Zeppelin. So I went to the first rehearsal and yes, you're in. Great. So, you know, it was supposed to be, oh, it's a side project. Um, maybe we'll play the bitter end once a month, that kind of thing. But the buzz that happened right off the bat from playing in this band was, was crazy. Um, we started playing New York frequently. We started playing out of town. Things got busier and busier. And it allowed me to quit my full-time job in 2005. Um, so I basically ran away with the circus and, you know, we went on tour. We were, we were, we did four tours of Europe. We played Canada. We, we went to Japan. We, we played Bonnaroo. I mean, it was ridiculous. So, and I was with the band for six years from 2003 to the beginning of 2009. So you were in this new company as the vice president slash partner, right? Uh, yeah, for, for the first couple of years, I was a partner. I left the partnership, but I stayed on at the company um, and uh, as the vice president of the company. So when you left, you had no stake in it. You could just say, hey, I'm I giving... I walked away. Okay. Yeah. You walked away from a stake or you walked away from... No, I walked away from the company. I, yeah. yeah, we we had 
we had worked out Got it. partnership stuff earlier because I had left the partnership like after two years into, into it. And before um, we get too far down the road on this, at the first company, you obviously uh, answered an entry-level position when you did it. Yep. But when you left, where were you on in the ladder of, you know? My position was director of licensing by the time I left. Wow. And you started yeah. as a receptionist, did you say? or I basically started as an admin assistant. Yeah. I knew nothing about, you know, I knew nothing about the, the, um, uh, the rights clearance field. Um, I knew nothing about the details of that. You know, I had some background in what copyright was, of course, just being a, a writer. But, you know, the, the kind of legal uh, ins and outs of clearing music and permissions and stuff, I had no idea. And I, right. So I, I just came into it cold. Yeah. Got it. So you went from there, then you got out. Director of licensing, yes. Started mm-hmm. your company with a with partner. A, a, yeah. Stayed for a couple of years, then stayed on, and then Led yeah. Zeppelin took off, and you said, I'm out of here. It's like, it's time to go. Yep. Um, and it very much sounds like the second company had a lot more creativity in it because you got to help the yeah. other artistic types find the correct music for their project, which yeah, sounds really we were cool. Definitely more involved uh, creatively, whether it was supervising a, uh, some films, um, uh, mostly what we did. We did a lot of supervision of television commercials, um, finding music for TV, TV, radio, internet, that kind of thing. Now, when I left, here I have this background. I have basically 15 years, 16 years of experience. Um, and going off on the road with, with Le Zeppelin was great, but it wasn't enough to entirely support me, my income. So I started doing some supervision and some licensing myself. We would be, you know, we'd be in Germany on tour and it'd be two o'clock in the morning after a show and I'd be on my computer. As long as I had my computer and my phone, I could do my work, you know, little by little, I started kind of growing my client base. And in 2011, after I'd left the band in 2009 and, you know, kind of was getting back into doing more of the supervision and I, I incorporated and that's how I came how Hidden Palm Productions came about, which uh, is my company. And it's named after the pond behind my house where I grew up in Katona, New York. It's called Hidden Pond. So that's why I named the company that. But another thing that happened after I left the band, I had done an album in 1999, A Brooklyn Night. That was my first solo release. In 2010, I released Wonder Wheel. So it felt really good to get back, you know, being in the band was terrific. I I loved every minute of it. It took me around the world. It was just so good for me musically and, you know, playing that music every night, just, just really getting your chops up. But, you know, I, those five or six years in the band, I really couldn't do much with my own material. Um, we were so busy that I couldn't I couldn't really, I, I barely had any of my own solo gigs. I wasn't writing a lot. So after leaving the band, you know, I was thinking, well, look, I have a master's in composition. We have a great project studio. I'm going to offer composition services to my clients. And 
a few of them took took us up on it. Um, I work a lot uh, with my husband, Tom, Tom Milioto. Uh, he's a great musician. He's a fantastic guitarist. He has a doctorate in classical guitar performance from SUNY Stony Brook. He went through this uh, Tonemeister sound recording program at Fredonia. So we have the, we have a, a great working relationship that way. And we've, we've done some national TV commercials. Uh, I've done some film scores. We've done, you know, a little... Um, sizzle reels for clients and so we just that's one of the things that i offer to my clients not just uh licensing and supervision and rights clearance but we we custom score too so we're kind of a one-stop shop for that kind of thing kind of a post-production one-stop shop that way all right and is he besides doing this with you what what not to get off track of you but what is he doing uh besides that um He's got his own engineering work that he does. Um, he's he's uh, a fantastic guitar teacher. So he's got a, a lot of different irons in the fire. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Okay, cool. So Hidden Pond Productions has been a company since 2011? Well, incorporated 2011, I, I kind of was calling my 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 work uh i guess path after leaving the band or it, while i was in the band and starting to right. do licensing like 2005 i was calling it hidden palm productions i wasn't incorporated yet but so it's yeah it's 15 years that's amazing that's yeah. really really cool yeah. so when you left the band did the band break up or did, did... no uh I left, the singer left, and the drummer left all on the same day. We oh, just wow. we just felt it was time to go. We just wanted to kind of do it at the same time. Mm-hmm. The guitarist continued on and has had other people in and out of the band since we've left. So she continued on with that. Um, but Is it still going? I, I guess so. I don't hear too much about it anymore. Um you know, there was such a buzz when we were when we were in the band, really from like the 2005 to 2000, end of 2008, when we had we did an album with Eddie Kramer in 2007. He he recorded and produced our debut album, which we we did. We recorded all the basic tracks at Electric Lady Studios, oh, that's which cool. was, you know, yeah. to have him doing that there yep. was, yep. you know, just an amazing experience playing Bonnaroo. We, we played festivals. We played Download Festival in England. We played Rock Am Ring, Rock Am Park in Germany. These are major yeah. rock festivals where, first of all, we were the first all-girl band and we were the first tribute band to play these festivals. So there was a lot of this kind of first thing, first thing happening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think just, you know, after 15 years of over 15 years, what is it, 2000? It's like 17 years the band really has been around. I think, um, I don't know, I don't, I don't know how, I don't really don't, don't know how much more you're gonna get a buzz about that sure. after so many years. Yeah. But, you know, God love them, They're, they keep doing it. And, and uh, uh, I, I loved being a part of the band, I really did. I, yeah. I really did. Yeah. Um, it was and- hard to go, it was not easy to leave, you know? But it was right. It was the right decision. Yeah. Well, good. And I think the cool thing about you being in something like that, and then being the owner of your company and doing what you do, you can help artists. You have the expertise. You're not just some person that's sitting behind a desk that 
got into this business, you full circle have all of the different pieces of this to really bring a, a great comfort level to a client of yours that like, I don't know all the services that Hidden Pond does, but let's say I needed, I needed your help with my own music and I wanted it protected. Is that something that your company does? It is. And, you know, it's funny that you say that because I feel like I'm in a unique position being in both the creative side of the industry and the business side of the industry that I have a unique perspective. And I, I really, and it's maybe it's the Gemini in me, I really see kind of both sides of the coin. And consulting, music business consulting is one of the services that, that I provide. In fact, I think I have three clients right now. They're not ad agencies or, or corporations. One is a singer-songwriter, one is an instrumentalist. They need help in navigating some of the things about copyright and well, mechanical licenses. They want to put somebody else's song on, on a CD they're mm -hmm. doing. Um, they, they need help with things like sound exchange and, you know, all kinds of things that you can do as a, as a DIY musician and a, as an independent artist to make some money that you, you may not even realize that you are, you, you're eligible for. Um, so I, I feel very passionate about educating people that way and helping people. So yeah, it is one of the things that we do. Yes. And it's so cool because you toured, you compose music, you're a performer, you have your masters, you went to college. You, yeah. Like there's this, it's just not, you got kicked out of your house at 16 and your parents <laughs> said, go find a job. And then you, you were an admin assistant to this and then you just, liked it so you stayed with it you you ha have all of the different prongs that help these musicians our artists like you said navigate the waters of what i consider i'm so glad i don't have to deal with any of it because <laughs> it's very confusing to me yeah. and i'm sure it is to a, a lot of people and especially musicians who are trying to make sure that not only do they do the right thing and they don't get sued and they don't get whatever for using some piece of music and at the same time to protect their own stuff. And, and so you started this, both of us have lived in these extraordinary times. There's a lot of things that happened in our lifetime. Um, I consider what, you know, the time we're living in is just crazy with all the things that have happened. So with streaming music, you know, there are always going to be at least two sides to that story. The artist will say streaming music has allowed my music to get in front of so many more people than it ever would have because mm -hmm. to have someone walk into a quote record store or whatever, right. And buy a CD or a record and happen to just pick me and, and then like me and then start this mini little street team and fan club. There's that piece of it. But then again, the amount of money that is made, that's given to them for that music that gets streamed is, from my understanding, extremely, extremely low. So the world has gotten to the point now where record sales at one point would make these bands money. Mm -hmm. And the touring part was the promotion of that and all of that. Now, my understanding, and you totally can correct me because you're deeper in this than I am, that these bands have to tour to make a living and they have to have great merchandise to make a living. Without those two things, there's no way they could ever make it off of the sales of, of songs. No, no, it's, it's completely changed. It's just completely flip-flopped. Um, it's, it's touring, it's merch, you know, you know, $50 t-shirts mm -hmm. and sweatshirts at, at shows. 
the, the industry is just is turned on its head, you know, and it's crazy because I've, I, I like, I've seen it just, mm-hmm. I've seen the change. And it also happened, there were changes in licensing too, because now that's another way for artists to make money that they may not have been happy about 25 or 30 years ago. Right. I mean, there were artists at one point that you knew Uh, you wouldn't even bother reaching out to their music publisher because you knew that there was a history that they didn't do commercials or they wouldn't license for a particular product. Um, And some of that has changed. Some of the artists that wouldn't license um, do now because they're not making money from record sales. So licensing became a a real big uh, commodity for the music publishing Uh, companies and the record companies. When I started out, there were the licensing departments. There were specific people you went to. You need permission for a song. You would, you know, you'd send a fax. You remember faxes? Yes. Yes, yes. Um, The annoying noise. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And, And for people that don't understand or know the difference, a music publisher represents songwriters and composers. The words in music, okay? That's what music publishers represent. A record company represents the audio performance of a particular recording. So you've got my the song My Way written by Paul Anka, right? Mm-hmm. He wrote that song. He's got a music publisher that represents the words in the music. Now, there are thousands of people that have re-recorded My Way. Mm-hmm. Everyone from Elvis Presley to Frank Sinatra so that's the distinction between those two things so years ago it was really about just doing these straight kind of yeah i want to use i heard it through the grapevine in a national commercial you go to the owners whatever and then it became more about what else what else in the catalogs can we get people interested in using so music services departments open started opening up at music publishing companies and record companies I'd like to say like in the, the early 90s is when, and I think I, I almost remember EMI Music Publishing was one of the first publishers to have a music services department where they actively tried to pitch their catalog to users of music, to ad agencies and filmmakers. And so that's how the, the wheels started turning to encourage people to to license a maybe particular catalog from EMI or or Sony or Warner Chapel, that started things changing, and that you know kind of got the supervision wheels going. And it's just really interesting to see how things changed. And of course, you know, as record sales declined, these licensing departments were like, "That's where we're, that's how we're going to make money." So, so when when someone comes to a company like yours, do they come to it because Let's say I noticed like on the website, there was a BMW commercial that you had some part in making happen with the, with the music piece of it, right? Does BMW, their executives or who's ever in charge of that part of shooting the commercial needs that music, do they come to you because it's, it's easier to have you deal with the artist and you understand the negotiation piece of getting that music and the the rights to it and all of that like why i guess i'm going a long way around why would somebody use hidden pond there's a team at bmw saying hey we heard this song by john mayer somebody call his agent and ask him what it's going to cost us to use it like i i don't know i'm giving it probably a really bad example but 
No, no, this is a, it's a good question. Um, people use someone like me because they don't know how to go about getting the permission. They don't know who to contact. They don't know who owns the song. If they did know who owns the song, they don't know who to talk to at that specific company. I mean, yes, Warner Chapel might be the music publisher for that particular Cole Porter song, but who the heck knows who to, that person is that I need to reach out to? And it's different depending on what you're doing. You know, is it a non-broadcast uh, in-house uh, video that you're going to show your employees? That's one person at that company. Is it a uh, not-for-profit video? It's another one. Is it a film? Is it a television commercial? That's somebody else. So after so many years in the business, I've amassed quite a database of who's who. Uh, and, you know, and also because I've been in the business for so many years, when I send an email or I put a phone call in, I, I usually hear back pretty quickly. You know, sometimes I work with, like for that commercial, I often work with an ad agency who's working on behalf of a brand. But BMW, I started doing some in-house work for them years ago, like, like 12 years ago, like in-house videos for their employees. And I maintained a great contact there. And when it came time for them to have the need of some uh, music for national TV campaigns, they came to me even though they had an ad agency who had a music producer on staff. They still wanted to use me to do that negotiation. So that's not common that the brand reaches out to me. It, usually when it's when it's ad for a, for a commercial like that, it's usually the ad agency. And I've done a couple of uh, national campaigns for them. And then I also do, you know, like non-broadcast in-house stuff for, uh, for Delta. It's about anything that music's in that or property is in that, right. all kinds of different. And, and that's kind of fun too. That keeps me on my toes. So the majority of your clients though are corporate clients. I'd say right now it's kind of corporate ad, advertising. I have a couple of indie films, indie film clients. Um, I have a few documentaries that I worked on the past couple of years. I worked on a pro wrestling documentary. I mean, you know, things that you just never think you're going to stumble upon. Clearing music for for a a wrestling documentary and entering a world I knew nothing about. Um, And then, of course, like I said, the, the consulting clients. And I just got a call from a a connection from somebody that we went to Fredonia with, you know, and Fredonia is like the gift that keeps on giving. I mean, I have friends that like you and we're still in touch after these years. And this person said, oh, uh, they knew that somebody was looking for original music for a production. And she said, why don't you talk to Lisa? So that's another thing we're probably going to be working on, you know, in December. Times are tough. Um, COVID has shut down a lot of my work. Um, I'm still, I've still got some balls in the air and, and you know, projects t- to work on. So um, I just have, got to plug through, you know. You brought up a good point. So how has COVID affected you? Is it, is it what has shut down? I mean, obviously the world is shut down, but what, what uh, for me, booking entertainment, right? Because my, right. my, my main business is putting... Yeah entertainment in the resorts that I have and then right. doing and then doing the corporate events that come to town and and other places in the country that I get asked to help with so that just stopped right yeah yeah um how did it stop on your end like what what did that mean did they stop shooting 
commercials? Did they stop? I was in the middle of a project for uh, a corporate project that got pulled in March because they knew that the big conference was going to be canceled in May. So things that we were working on in the middle of that, that got pulled. A couple of ad campaigns that I was expecting got pulled. So like a lot of the big, unfortunately, a lot of the big projects, the big things that kind of take you through the year were canceled. All of my performing work, live performing that, you know, I perform a lot with my sister. Um, we had festivals we were supposed to do that got canceled. You know, we've done some virtual mm -hmm. uh, projects, um, but all, all of the, the live stuff got canceled. You know, I also teach. I have three voice students and I have a, a ukulele student in California, but the voice students um, were, were all coming here and, you know, now, now they're virtual, you know, just to be yeah. safe. And yeah. so, so many things changed in such a short period of time. It's, it's really crazy. Yeah. So, and, and I guess your corporate clients like mine are when these events stop or employment slows down or stops, like if you are doing training videos of, you know, the, the music or the rights to it or all of the things that get put together for a large event, and all of that has stopped, that's really how it's affecting you as well. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I hear you. So I want to, I, you know, there's a fair amount of people that will listen to my podcast that are because of my background and where I've come from, there are a fair amount of musicians and, and artists and things like that. So I have a lot of really talented singer songwriters on my roster that besides going out and playing covers and doing that at the resorts, a lot of them do some really nice writing and have their own CDs and things like that. When would one of those types of entertainers come to a company like yours? And I know you touched upon it earlier, but I really want it to be clear so that if they're listening to this and they say, I've been just treading water in this world of copyright issues and I don't know where to go and I don't know how to protect my material and I don't know how to get my stuff in front of people. You know, like I, I don't know, is Taxi a competitor to you because they can go directly to a, a website like that? And No, no, that's a totally different kind of business. Okay. Um, and the thing is, um, and I, I do get people approaching me, I do get artists approaching me thinking that I'm going to help them place their music in, in a commercial or whatever. That's not my clients. Most of my clients are users of music. The way that I can help music artists and songwriters and composers is by consulting with them about these things that they may not understand. You know, how do I copyright my material? Uh, how do I um, use a famous song that I didn't write? How do I put that on my CD? How do I get the rights for that? What the heck is ASCAP, BMI, or CSAC? And why do I need to be a member of that if I'm a songwriter? And and, How, and put a pin in that because we need to talk about that. Yes. So, that's, so sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, oh, but that's no, something no. we have to that's, talk about. So yeah. go ahead. And and what the heck is sound exchange? Uh, why is it important that I, I join sound exchange? You know, all of these things, there's, you know, it's kind of like, we're in this amazing time because you have all of this information at your fingertips. You know, the internet is, it's like a blessing and a curse, but for me, it's mostly a blessing. I think about all the things that, you know, if I had had this stuff at my beck and call 30 years ago, you know, 
um, there's so much that people can do themselves, but you really have to educate yourself. Um, if you're going to be an indie artist, if you are going to uh, write your own material, you have to know how to protect yourself. So you really have to kind of um, do the research and, and educate and learn about the business. But if you need help, somebody like me who has been through it from both ends can be uh, a resource um, and can kind of cut through some of that stuff quickly. Um, Taxi is, is an, really an A&R service for um, getting your music in front of music supervisors and um, uh, libraries and production music. Um, I actually use them for my own material. Okay. Uh, I have uh, occasionally I send, you know, I look at their, their briefs that come in. I've placed two cues with a library. Um, I'm hoping to do some more of that kind of work. Uh, it seems to me like that's a good thing to do now with so, some extra time on my hands. Mm -hmm. So that's really, you know, that's a, a kind of a separate thing. Then there are companies called placement companies where they help you try to find opportunities for your music, whether it's film, television, advertising, and they take a percentage of whatever deal they strike. They don't take ownership of your copyright. They don't, you know, they don't own anything. They're not a publisher, but they'll take a percentage of the deal, like a, just a one-off percentage. Yep. So there are companies that do that. So that might be a thing that maybe some of your singer-songwriters might want to explore to try and find companies that might, you know, be interested in helping them place their material in, in front of people. Yeah. So let's just stick to the consulting services that you offer really quick. Sure. Um, and, and let's keep it in the, the bubble of singer-songwriters for now. Right. If someone came to you and said, listen, because this is something that I, I try to help with when I throw up a video uh, on one of my various channels or whatever, saying as like the whole starving musician thing sort of drives me a little bit crazy because I feel like some entertainers don't think outside the box mm. and don't realize that there's a lot of other opportunities besides just having to work your fingers to death seven days a week performing and singing somewhere in order to pay the rent, right? So yeah. so I've put up videos before where I'm saying, okay, as a performer, you can write music for other people. If you have the skills, you can take music and arrange it for them if they want to do it in a certain style or with a certain instrumentation. Mm -hmm. You can call around to all the recording studios and say, hey, if you ever need someone that can do this, like you, if you can, you can play ukulele, right? Somebody to come in and lay down some tracks on ukulele. I'm available. Uh, teaching, right? Mm -hmm. I, I had like, I don't know, five or six things. But so when someone comes to you, do you, do you have a list of uh, like a checklist? You can say, hey, listen, so I'm going to help you to not only like, let's get your music protected and let me help you with the struggles you're having with all of the, the legal things that, are out there. Um, but have you ever thought of all of these things in order to generate some additional income, which is placement of your music or uh, I don't know, whatever that would be? Yeah, it, that that's a good question. Um, it, it, to a degree, I've done that, but it's been, I would say that the, the folks that have come to me 
so far have been very focused on what their needs are. Mm -hmm. And they haven't asked about other things. They're, they're not interested in it or, or don't have the skill set to, to explore those other things. But um, there are lots of music blogs out there and lots of like, like articles that, you know, list that kind of thing. Here are the 20 other things that you could be doing other than playing in a bar four hours a night, five nights a week. Um, but there's a lot of that. And, you know, because there's such a proliferation of media now, I mean, between, you know, uh, smartphones and, um, and iPads and this and that, there's, and, and there's so many channels and there's so much content. All of that content needs music, you know? So um, there's, there's a lot to explore in the area of, of creating music for, for visuals. But the other side of it is because everybody and their mother um, can have a studio in their, in their computer now, that there's a lot of material. There's a lot of stuff out there. There's all of this royalty-free music. And, you know, a lot of it is, frankly, it's really bad. Yeah. It's just bad. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's like finding that fine line between pursuing, pursuing these, these avenues, these things that you could do that maybe you hadn't thought of, and, and not being overwhelmed by the amount of stuff that's already out there, right? Mm -hmm. yep. It's really tough. Yep. And I mean, you know, I'm a perfect example. I mean, you know, I, I'll just, if somebody says, can you do this? I'm like, yeah. And then I figure it out. Sure. You know, you know, I, did I ever think I was going to teach voice lessons? Not in your life, but I'm doing it. And you know what? I really enjoy it yeah. and it's making me a better singer. So, you know, you just never know. You just have to be able to say yes and, um, you know, take a crack at it. Let's get to the whole ASCAP, BMI, whatever. I, what's the other one? CSAC. CSAC. I'm a CSAC okay. writer. Okay. So, and the only re reason I'm bringing this up, because again, some of my listeners yeah. could possibly be the, the people that run some of the local restaurants that I help book entertainment for yeah. or management at the resorts. And so I'll, I'll get a call from, a nice restaurant in town and they'll say, Hey, listen, we're thinking about starting live entertainment on the weekends. Can you help us? And I'm like, sure. And figure out the budget and the type of music. And I go look at the space and I recommend what I recommend. And then we start putting it in there and it does really, really well. And people like it and people stay longer and they spend more money or they come in and have drinks. And it just, it ends up being a really good thing. Then all of a sudden one of those organizations sends one of those letters to the owner and says, Hey, you have to pay this or you have to discontinue having music. And so then I get the phone call saying, hey, you know, you've been doing this for a while. Do you know anything about this? All I say is, because I don't know anything about it, is yes, they are protecting the rights of the people that wrote these songs in regards to this material. And there is a, a fee. So here's my biggest problem with it. And I don't, we don't need to get into to redesigning what, how they, they figure out the, the money part of this, but they confuse the owners so much that the owners just call and say, you know, I'm going to just stop because I can't figure out what they want me to do. They want me to take the square footage of the space times the number of people that will be in the building from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. times what, like this calculation 
And I'm saying, listen, I think the worst that they want you to pay is like $850 a year. You should just pay it and you don't have to worry. But it's just such a convoluted thing. It's not simple for some of these owners. Yeah, yeah. Um, I understand that. It's it's difficult. You'd think that they would streamline that a little bit more and, and make it easier because I hear this all the time. But as a writer, I know the importance of them coming out and getting those licenses taken care of. But it just seems like it should just be it should be easier to do that and and not make it so that you're just you're you're turning people away. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like that's like the side of of those organizations that that that's really tricky. They they're trying to do the right thing, but they're just making it difficult yeah. to co- to collect. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it just can it scares the hell out of the owners and it can I get them. it. And so yeah. their only option is just to bail. And, and I, and it's, it's sad because it's not a lot of money in the scheme of things right? when it brings in people and it generates revenue. Yeah. But I, I just, it's the letters, I think almost come with a tone that feels threatening and they just, sure they just bail. They're just like, I, I'm not going to get sued and whatever. That's really a shame. Yeah. It's really a shame. Yeah. So anyhow, I just threw that in there because yeah. I, I see the other side of it. I sure. understand, I, you know, both ends, but yeah, it, it is what it is. On the legal part of this, this is what, while you were talking about all the things that you have to do, how do you, as the owner of this company, and you deal with all of these, the rights to use things and all, all of that, how do you legally navigate through that? I mean, that's... It's challenging because I'm I'm kind of in this legal, quasi-legal business. I, I'm not an attorney, but I'm a rights clearance expert. And, you know, I've been dealing with copyright questions for, you know, I'm not even going to say how many years. Um, your, your listeners can figure it out based on all the dates that I, <laughs> that I mistakenly mentioned at the beginning of what we were, we were talking. But That's okay. When this goes up on YouTube on, on Friday and they see how young you look, they're going to be like, oh. Oh, God, I love you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean. <sighs> it doesn't sound easy. And I don't know how it just. It, here, here's, here's the thing. The good thing about it is because I'm in the middle of a deal, right? I've got my client, I've got the record company, I've got the publisher. The client has an attorney, the publisher has an attorney, the label has an attorney. And it I make it very clear to my clients when I, you know, the contracts always route through me before, you know, the label will send me the contract, the publisher will send me the contract, I will review it and read it. If I see something that's incorrect, or I have a question about, I'll question it before it even gets to the client. Then I will send it to the client and I'll say, please review and have your legal team look this over. It's up to them to make sure that they're covered at that end. So I'm kind of in the middle, but between the client and the owners of the material, they have their legal teams that are making sure they're protected, you know, Got it. And and I'm I'm just ra- I'm routing the stuff between the companies. Got it. Okay, cool. So that makes sense. I just didn't yeah. know how much of that burden fell on you because that would be like a lot. Yeah, no. 
no, <laughs> not, 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 no. And, you know, uh, I'm not signing the agreements. I'm making recommendations. I'm making suggestions, but ultimately it's the client who is signing. So they, they will have their legal team look it over. Got it. All right, cool. All right, let's lighten things up. Okay. What are you doing today? What is new? What's happening? I am working on a virtual concert cool. with our f dear friend Susan Hafner cool. and my sister Lori, um, which it's not a live stream. It's, it's, we're, we've done recordings and uh, audio and video recordings of songs, and then it's being put together in a program, and it's going to air on Vermont television and YouTube. Um, so that's, that's fun. That's, that's exciting. And uh, this is the second concert that I've, I've worked on with Sue, a virtual concert. Uh, we were, we did one in May that was supposed to be a live concert that we were doing in Vermont, but that, but it got canceled because of COVID. So we just, you know, switched gears and made it a virtual concert. I have four songs that are being used in a play called the, the Wickham Way, which is written by Rachel Rubin Ledutke. And it's a, she's a playwright and director that I've, I've done several projects with her over the years where she's used my music or I've written music for her. Uh, so uh, that's getting some readings coming up. My sister and I are prepping our holiday show, the Vicki and Nikki uh, Christmas show. Um, and for your listeners who don't know, and in addition to everything else that I've, I'm trying to keep track of. I have a musical comedy act I do with my sister, Lori, called the called Vicky and Nikki. We, we play uh, suburban housewives from Minnesota who are on the road playing music. And it's entirely self-contained. So between the two of us, we play like 10 or 12 instruments. And I mean, everything from, you know, saxophone, electric guitar, keyboard, accordion. I want to know how you, got the, how you got the accents down. When I watch, oh, like, you know, <laughs> you know, it's tough. It's really kind of nasal. It's and I listen. I watch Fargo a lot. Oh, there you go. I did. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. The funny. The funny thing is, though, is it's a really wide sound. Yeah. Know, wide vowels, and we realize that you really can't sing that way for any length of time because it's it, first of all, it hurts. Right. And it, it, you, you just don't resonate well. So when we're singing, we kind of let the accents go a little bit unless we're hitting a real particular consonant or vowel. But it's mostly the, the accents come out with, with the, uh, the script and the dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> My gosh, it's hilarious. How long have you guys been doing this now? I think since 2004. We've, okay. we've, we've written like 10 or 12 shows, I think. And, okay. you know, we've done it this, uh, different uh, incarnations of the show and the summer show holiday shows we've taken it on the road we've we've done a lot of cabaret spaces in the city we've we've guested in at comic shows you know comedians have had us on as kind of the musical comedy act but it's it's a lot of fun and it's very different than any of the other music stuff i do because i get to play a character which is you know with a really kind of like scary wig and false eyelashes. And it, it's just classic. Like yeah. Joelle and I watch it and it's just unbelievable. Yeah. Um, are you in, where are you? And you, are you in Brooklyn? I'm in Brooklyn. And we're so, in Brooklyn. And yeah. where's Lori? She's two blocks away. Oh yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. She's two blocks away here in Brooklyn. So it makes, and let me guess person. like Sue is six blocks away. No, she's in <laughs> Vermont. Oh, she's in Vermont. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But, um, 
she was here. She was in New York for for quite a while, but right. um, yeah, she's she's in Vermont now. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So you're working on the holiday show now. Yep, we're working on the holiday show. We're okay. we're writing it, and we're going to do a live stream this year. And the funny thing is, last year we took a year off. We didn't do a live show last year. We thought we thought you know what we needed a break. And had we known what was coming, mm-hmm. we would have done a live show. Right. I think. Yeah. Because um, it feels it kind of feels weird to to now have not be doing that again. But the good thing is we can have we can do a live stream and you know we can actually hit more people in a live stream than we would in the live show. You know we can we can fit about seventy five to eighty people in in the cabaret space that we do the show at. And if we do two shows, but uh, so that that'll be. That'll be fun. It'll be nice to work on that. Um, and, you know, it's very topical, too. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how things go these next weeks and how that affects our script in terms of uh, right. the, yeah. the election and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's cool. So what else? I want to make sure we... Oh, what else? Are um, you and Tom doing anything together? Um. We don't have anything planned right now, but I'm I'm hoping that we can do some e- either a maybe a live stream or some or something to that effect. He's got a bunch of things he wants to do too, um, but um, right now we're we're mostly working on you know the engineering part of putting the the virtual concert together, and he's really helping us with that. He's doing a lot of the audio uh, engineering for that project. And is he doing it like right where you're sitting? Is that the studio? Yep, right here. This is it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All that fancy equipment. Yeah. Yeah. We got <laughs> we got, still got the old reel to reel there, you see? It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Vicky and Nikki, you only do how many of these like videos that you do? Well, we're doing this virtual show in December, but we also have um, webisodes. We have a, a web series um, called called Vicky and Nikki Flickies, and they're like little little one minute vignettes. And um, if people go to vickyandnikki.com, they can see those, and they're on YouTube as well. So we want to produce more of those and just just try and get that stuff out there um, to a, to a larger fan base. Um, had you do you guys ever think about starting a channel or, or, or adding to your channel where it's more of, you know, you're putting out at least a video a week kind of thing. Um, no. Too much work. I think right now. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, you know, it, we've got like th- three or four episodes of the, the webisodes up. Uh, we would like to do more. I, I think we would like to do that more regularly, but I think a one a week is probably too much for us. And it, just in the, in, you know, with everything else that's going on, probably too much. Trust me. But I think it's, I think it's amazing that you guys are doing it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's, Trust yeah. me. It's, a, yeah. it's, it's, it's the, however long, let's take 15 minutes of filming and then it's a day of editing. Oh, you know, I know. At, at oh, least. I know. You know, that's the thing. Like you, yeah. you, you know, you shoot it and then you got to, you know, yeah. make it look good and sound good. And yep. yeah, yeah. I well, know. And all of these skills, all of these things that, you know, we, we just have to keep learning too. Yeah. And, 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 you know, you got to kind of keep up with the Joneses. Yeah. Um, but sometimes, uh, you know, every once in a while, I just, I'm like, I just want to go 
live in a cabin in the woods with no electricity, <laughs> you know, it's just like, <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Trust <sighs> me. Yeah. I just went to the eye doctor the other day, just as a regular checkup. Cause I don't yeah. really wear glasses for distance or reading. Um, but both or reading. Yeah. But, but at both ends of the spectrum, I could use a little bit, a little but, help, <laughs> but, but not enough that I really need to like wow. wear whatever. And, yeah. uh, and she like she's like well how you know do you spend some time on the computer and I go yeah she goes a lot and I'm like yeah she goes four hours a day I'm like no she goes eight hours a day I'm like no like more like 10 or 15 so yeah it's tough yeah yeah (laughs) I know (laughs) all right well cool so if somebody wants to get in touch with you what's the best way to connect with you for either Song lessons, ukulele lessons, uh, I mean, singing lessons, uh, composing, Hidden Pond Productions. Yeah, um, lessons and, and you know, more of like performing and that kind of thing. Uh, LisaBrigantino.com, music licensing, music supervision, consulting, helping musicians and songwriters uh, kind of navigate some of the music business stuff that that they need to do to protect themselves and also to get their material, you know, just ship shape and um, make sure that, that they're taken care of hiddenpondproductions.com. Awesome. And there's, there's contacts, there's, you know, forms on both websites where you can send an email and, and I'll get it and I'll, I'll get back to people. And I get back very quickly. Cool. What about all the other things? Uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Yeah, I'm on, I'm all over the place. All right, I'm cool. just like, yeah, Instagram. I'm on Instagram, you know, uh, Lisa Brigantino, Lisa Brig, uh, Hidden Pond Productions is on Instagram, Twitter, you know, uh, Facebook pages. I mean, I'm just all over the place. So, cool. and all, right. all of those, those links are, are on those websites as well. Awesome. And then Vicky and Nikki. Oh, geez, we can't forget Vicky and Nikki, can we? I almost... I almost didn't say Vicky and Nikki's website for God's sakes. Okay. I'm so Vicky. glad I asked. I wanted to hear that accent right. one more time. Sure. Oh, Joe. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, yeah. Vicky and Nikki.com. Uh, Vicky and Nikki.com. That's, that's nice. Yeah. And uh, so that's where people can find, you know, our little webisodes and, and other uh, videos. And also when uh, we'll probably be making an announcement, maybe in the next couple of weeks as to when the holiday show will be airing. Okay. Cool. So, yeah. All right, cool. All right. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, this was uh, a complete joy for me. It, oh, it's like, I love seeing your face. I you love too, talking Joe. to you. I'm glad things are well. Please give Tom a hug for me. I will. I will. Um, Same to Joe Ellen. Yeah. And just, you know, stay in touch. Let me know what's happening. And then uh, hopefully you'll get some people reaching out for some help. We'll, we'll all hang in there through this and yes. come out the other side. Right. Sounds great. All right. Awesome. All right. All right. Thanks so much. I'll see you soon. I hope. All right, Joe. Thank you. All right. I can't thank you enough for tuning into my podcast. It's definitely an honor for me to be in your ears and I appreciate you taking the time to listen to the podcast and possibly rating it, sharing it, and if you have the time to write a review. I hope the content that I'm delivering is something very special to you and once again thank you so much for listening.